God, we are so thankful for this time where we get to celebrate your coming and your birth. Lord, for years and years, people had studied of the coming Messiah and were waiting expectantly, Lord. And you could have came in an easy way that just showed your splendor, wiped your hands off, and been done. But Lord, instead, you chose a way that was a little more complicated and required patience and humility. And you did this by sending your son and wrapping him in flesh so that you could have relationship with us and you could have compassion on us and meet us where we are. We're just filled with so much gratitude for that, Lord. Thank you. And so as we go into the message, Lord, I just pray for Pastor Rick. I pray that you would give him wisdom to faithfully proclaim your word. And I pray that you would also give us wisdom to discern it and to understand it. I pray that we would never forget the sacrifice and the tenderness of your birth and your coming, Lord. We pray all these things in your holy yet humble name. Amen. You may be seated as we continue. so glad you joined us today. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I guess if we look at the program, somebody just talked to you. Somebody just prayed and poured her heart out to you. And so maybe if we look at the program, this is bad timing. Like, why would you pray this fast, this early? Well, Father, we do love talking to you. And we ask you, God, that you would help us today. Help us learn. Help us communicate. Help us hear from you. Lord, in some ways, the story is so old. And almost everybody, well, around that we know has some kind of a manger and, and some kind of uh, nativity scene. But Father, sometimes because it's so familiar, this story, we lose the wonder. We think we've heard it all. God, there isn't actually a lot of verses on this Christmas story. But God, you shouted and proclaimed your love for us by sending Jesus. We're a messed up people. We're a people that's quite arrogant and, and most of the time we just think we know <laughs> what's better and how to live our lives. Yet, longer, yet Lord, the, the longer we're around, we see the mess we make of our lives. We desire direction. And we just get discouraged. 
So, Lord, open our eyes today. Give us fresh perspective. Would we learn something that's going to change our lives forever? You you do that, God. We're going to talk in just a little bit about that. But that's what you do. You change lives. We just want to say thank you. Lord, there are so many other churches and other places that are proclaiming your gospel and focusing on you, adoring you, worshiping you. We pray for those churches right now, for those congregations, for those flocks, that you would encourage their hearts and help them on their journey. We pray in particular for Casa de Arision, for Meadowland, for Grace Point. These are all churches right from our conference, right in this area. God, would you use those people to change, well, your world? I thank you so much, Father, for the kids that you've given us and the teachers and for the opportunities that we have to partner with our parents and our grandparents and our families to be able to share good news, Father, to be able to encourage them in their faith. And Lord, the the truth is we're surprised sometimes by how much faith our kids have. So thank you. Thank you for all the folks who who are serving today, all the folks who... We'll meet in groups and serve this week. We are blessed. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I'm so glad you joined us this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 or your flat screens. We're going to spend most of our time there this morning. We are going to continue to tell the Christmas story. 
a story again that so many of you, well, not only know, but have shared yourself with others. But in our story today, much has happened before the wise man came, the Magi's visit. We need to understand the story before the story. Now, although the wise men are very much part of the Christmas story, these are the only legitimate facts that we have about the wise men, the facts which you just heard read to you. Their story is important. God ordained that 12 out of the 81 Christmas verses in all of the scriptures They tell the story about the wise men. That's about 10% of the story, of the Advent story. But we still don't have a lot of facts. We are not told their number, even though in just about every nativity there's three of them. All right? We don't know their means of transportation, we don't know their names. We don't even know the specific country or countries from which they came. Now, historically, as we read this, coming from the east probably meant they were some of the esteemed priests from Parthian. Well, these folks were famous because of their combined knowledge of science and agriculture and mathematics and history and actually the occult. Their influence began with the Medes and the Persians and grew during the Babylonian Empire. Political leaders often sought out wisdom from this group, especially in choosing leaders, even kings. That's why they were often referred to as kingmakers. We do learn from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament that the Magi were among the highest-ranking and most revered um, officials in Babylon. By God's grace, Daniel was given leadership over at least this group of Magi. Because of Daniel's high position and great respect among them, it seems certain that the Magi learned much from that prophet Well, that Daniel probably taught them about the one true God, the God of Israel, and about his will and his plans and his prophecies concerning the coming king. Now, although Babylon fell like many major nations, the influence of the Magi continued well into the first century. So in light of the scriptures and history, what can we piece together about this group of men? We know this. There were at least two wise men. But as you look at history and as we discover how folks kind of worked in this time, it probably was a group. It probably was an entourage who came to worship the long-awaited king of the Jews, the Messiah. A giant pack moving through the desert toward Jerusalem. We don't know exactly how God revealed to the Magi that the sign of a specific star rising in the east would announce that the king of the Jews 
had been born. Maybe it was a dream. We've heard about a dream just a little bit later, but we don't know. We just know they knew it. Their mission then was to honor and worship the newborn king. We are told that a star, or it could be interpreted a light, led them to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem and then to Jesus. The light or the star had to be different than other stars. And somehow again, they knew that this was a sign. Now, since the Bible does not identify or explain the star, we cannot be dogmatic, but we do know it was there. Maybe it was the glory of the Lord. Maybe it was something special that God used just for this time to help this group find the Messiah. We don't know this. Is that the star led them to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's probably a good place, if you're looking for the king of the Jews, to start asking questions. And so we do know that that's what they did. And this group, probably a large group, probably uh, they stuck out quite well. Uh, King Herod found out and questioned them. We learn in our text that King Herod was disturbed. And if you know a little bit about history, again, this was not the kind of guy you want to disturb. He, he was very immoral. He, he did not have a good sense of right and wrong. So what he did is he pulled the wise men together and, and looked interested. And said, hey, I, I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you go ahead, find out exactly where this child is, this new king, and then come on back. Let me know. I want to worship him. Hmm. Well, we know that the Magi's visit was probably several months. Again, not knowing exactly where they came from, but from the east and looking at major areas there and even using the term magi, it seems like it was probably Babylon, all right? Now, as I said, it probably took several months. We have a tendency to forget because we travel all over, especially here in the United States, and and we have this idea of how many miles, how long it takes us, and X, Y, Z. Well, there's a lot of other factors back then. Let me explain. As we read this scripture, we found out that the Magi eventually got to a place where they saw or knew that the Messiah or the Son of God was laid. They entered a house and they saw a child. Now again, my hope is not that I destroy all of your nativity scenes. All right? It, it is not my goal for you to go home and burn the wise men. 
okay? Maybe you can put them off a little bit, you know, like, I don't know what you can do. But the truth is this, is that we know that when they finally did come, it wasn't a manger. It wasn't a stable. It was a house. And actually, in the original language, they didn't come and see a baby. They saw a young child. So we know it was after the whole major manger scene. Secondly, we know the Magi's visit was after Jesus' circumcision. That actually happened eight days after the birth. We also know that before Mary and Joseph, um, well, well, let me say it this way. There was also something required for a Jewish couple to do about 40 days after a birth. It was called the purification offering. And what would happen is that they would travel to Jerusalem, they would present their son to God, and then they would offer a sacrifice. The scriptures tell us that if you were poor, you would offer a couple turtle doves or pigeons. If you had means, you would offer a lamb. Well, the scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph offered turtle doves or pigeons because they were poor. If the Magi had come, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, and already given their gifts, Mary and Joseph would have been able to sacrifice a lamb. They would have had some means. They would have had some money. But they hadn't met the Magi yet. So in this whole story, Jesus is born, Jesus is put in the manger, Jesus eventually goes to Jerusalem and is circumcised, Jesus then goes back with Mary and Martha about 40 days later, and there's a sacrifice of a couple birds. So they weren't at the manger, that's all. Then we know that the Magi saw the star of his birth. And then they started their journey. Herod, when he met these folks, asked, hey, when did you see this star? And responded later, as you read through the scriptures, later on in Matthew 2, of sending soldiers all in the area to kill boys who are in or around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under. Because this was the report from the Magi. So we know that the star appeared. We know it's taken us months or maybe even up to a year to get there. And Herod, in his way, decided, you know what? I'm going to bump this out. I'm going to make sure that everybody, every boy in this area, two years old or younger, I'm I'm going to wipe out the king. I'm going to make sure I don't want any competition. Now, probably a starting point for the caravan would be Babylon. And if you just look at the miles, it's about 700 miles. Again, for us, in many ways, it's not a big deal. 
But most of the time, caravans are people who are carrying heavy loads at that time would travel about 20 miles a day using camels. Now, yes, they could have done it other ways, and, and, and they might have, but that's probably what happened. So if you look at about 700 miles, and you look at about 20 miles a day, and you looked at they just keep trucking right through so that they could finally see Jesus or the Messiah, it would take a mere 35 days just to get there. But you've got to add other things. And they probably didn't just go crazy. All right? This is a little bit of royalty here. So if you enter into the calculation, they still had a rest. They had this dialogue in Jerusalem. They still had to travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. I would say that at least 60 to 90 days after they saw the star. Now, again, let's reread Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 9. This is the last part of our story, which you've already heard. Matthew 2, verse 9. And by the way, it probably won't sound as good as what you heard, but we'll try. After this interview... The wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them right to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star following it and and it had stopped, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's dig a little bit deeper into these verses. The Magi came. The Magi saw the light, whatever it was, stop. It probably was lower. It probably was hovering. It it probably, well, helped them know exactly where Jesus was. And the scriptures say they were filled with joy when the star or the light stopped. Can you imagine? It's been at least weeks and probably months. They have been searching. They have heard about this. They finally get to the place, and I don't know. Maybe God gave them a signal. When it twinkles, this is it. Well, they knew. And the scripture says they were filled with joy. Now, in most English translations, you cannot actually understand how happy they were. But you can kind of think about it. If I were to literally translate this, I I would say they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's kind of a mouthful. They couldn't believe it. They said, we've arrived finally after all this time. We've heard about this. We get to meet the king. 
But I don't care how big the house was. It wasn't a palace. So what does he do? Take a deep breath? The, the king of kings is in here? Wait, wait a minute. Wait, God, I, I, are you sure? They were excited. And the scriptures say, when they saw Jesus, imagine, pounding on the door. I'm pretty sure they didn't run right in, but we are not talking about three classy-looking visitors. We are talking about an entourage that just shows up at your house. Hey, we've come to see the king. Oh, <laughs> well, okay, uh, come on in, come on in. How big was the room? How many people could fit in there? Did they go in one by one? I don't know any of those answers. But when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. Now again, I don't want to focus on any one kind of worship. Maybe you're from different types of churches. But realistically, I think their worship was probably different than our normal experience. All right? When an ancient worshiped, they would also come, they would often come into the presence of the person they were worshiping, and they would fall flat down on their face. Then they would start kissing the person's feet or the hem. And we would see that and go, that's odd. (laughs) Why would you do that? But that was basically cultural at that time. And if this be the case, can you imagine? Mary is there, regular day, regular time. An entourage comes. Person after person comes in. Bows down before Jesus and worships her son. If Mary didn't understand completely who Jesus was, she was getting a better idea at this moment. And then the surprise they gave gifts. Not just kind of a housewarming gift. Hey, here's a plant. All right. Hope you do well. Here's a gift card to Starbucks if, you know, you get a little thirsty later on or anything like that. These were significant, extravagant gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, again, you ask the question, I ask the question, do the wise men, have they connected the dots? Have they been given specifically, hey, give these gifts? I don't really know that. But I know, again, in that culture, these gifts did mean something. There was significance about these gifts. So all of a sudden, one of them pull out some gold. We don't know how much gold. We don't. But gold is a precious metal. It's a gift of great value. It's a gift worthy to give a king. But it seems kind of extravagant, 
not really knowing who this Jesus is. But these wise men knew something and gave the gift of gold. A gift worthy to give a king. Then there was frankincense. Frankincense was a spice that was used uh, as incense in the worship of God, usually in the temple or the tabernacle. Frankincense is a gift symbolizing Christ's priestly role for all of mankind. That he would be an intercessor. That he would represent us to God. And then lastly, maybe the most shocking of all the gifts, those sort of make sense, but here's the gift of myrrh. Myrrh, as many of you know, is also a spice, but it's used for embalming. Now, again, just try to picture this. You go to a hospital, and you visit some parents, and you see all the gifts around, and you pull out your gift and say, hey, you know what? I just thought it'd be appropriate if I get you a cemetery plot. Really? Cool. I, I hear they're expensive. You know, I mean, what? it's just unusual. You just don't give gifts like that. But it was very clear. Hey, here is myrrh, a spice. I think realistically, these magi were proclaiming Christ's death. Literally, this will change the world. It will change the world. Wow. They believe this was the king. In spite of the surroundings, they believe that God sent them there. And they had the privilege of worshiping and giving gifts. Now, realistically, these gifts were not in addition to worship. They weren't trying to please anybody. These gifts were were an element of their worship. Their trip and the gifts were costly. Who would take a trip like this? Well, apparently they knew God. Apparently they understood the prophecies. And apparently God had declared to them that this was the time. And they got together. And they got excited. We are going to meet the King of Kings. Let's go. Let's worship. And let's give gifts. You would say in some ways, (laughs) the trip and the gifts were too costly. But not really. Because grateful hearts always are the basis of giving and service. You see, you don't give because you're supposed to. You give, you serve because you get to. You know who the Lord is. You understand his grace. You recognize how great your salvation is. And because you love the Lord, you serve the Lord. Because you've never met anybody like God. And this is what what was being modeled for us. 
Now, let me point this out. We won't spend a lot of time there. But when the Magi came, the Magi didn't worship Mary. They worshiped Jesus. And sometimes we get confused. And there are some churches that have a tendency to worship Mary. They worshiped Jesus. Now, if we're honest, this was extraordinary behavior, even for a God-fearing Jew. The Magi may have had limited knowledge or understanding of God, but their actions showed they knew God. They recognized God's voice, and they responded to God despite their culture's prolific paganism and superstitions. You know, as I was studying, as I was putting this message together, I stopped at this point. I personally was overwhelmed, amazed, and convicted. You know, I knew that these magi didn't have the whole of the scriptures. I knew they weren't in an environment where they would be encouraged to follow God. But somehow, they knew enough. They listened to God. They responded to God with much less light than I have. And how do I worship at times? Casually. How do I give? Out of obligation. How do I serve? Better. Better do that. Not always. And not always do... All of us have that attitude, but, but there was something about these wise men, anticipation, and it cost them. Now, here's the good part, and, and I think actually this whole story gets better. Picture again the Magi have just accomplished their mission. They were there to find the king, which they did, and to worship the king, which they did. Then God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they departed for their own country and went another way. Now let me put it this way. These wise men changed their minds. They changed their minds. They did all that God technically asked them to do. At that moment, they should say, hey, let's just get home. Not big deal. But God talked to them again and said, don't go back to Herod. That won't be good. I want you to go home a different way. And even as you heard in our little skit, well, that's going to cost me more time. That's going to cost me more money. If I obey you, how about if I just do my own thing? But they didn't. They didn't. They chose to fear God more than they feared man. They are not wishy-washy or indecisive, but they were obedient. They chose a different, longer route because God said to. 
You know, to be quite honest, the wise men remind me of two other men in scriptures, two men that I think most of you know. Zacchaeus, a not-so-religious man, and Saul, a very religious man. Both Zacchaeus and Saul heard from God. They listened to God. They changed their minds about God. And both, and it cost both of these men dearly. If you want, you can find the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And we're not going to go into all the specifics, but, but most of you know Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That means he not only was a rascal, but he taught others to be a rascal. And the tax collector was looked down in the first century by Jews. Because Rome required a task, they had power to tax, but they would often tax way more than they needed to, just to pad and to enjoy money. So, so they abused their privilege. This is who Zacchaeus was. And Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus saw Zacchaeus. The story goes, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to come over to your house. Let get together and watch you feed me. <laughs> we don't know a lot that happened at that meal, but the Bible says that Zacchaeus said, yes, come on over. And all of a sudden we're finding out Zacchaeus is completely different. His life is changed. He basically comes out after this meal and says, hey, you know what? I'm convicted. All the people I cheated, I am going to, well, give four times the amount back to them. I also know I'm pretty wealthy. I would like to give half of my wealth to the poor. Now, to a guy where money was so important, all of a sudden to come out and just say, oh, I met Jesus. He changed my perspective. I see that I've been self-focused, and I want to be generous. There's another guy named Saul who eventually his name was Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, we find again a tremendous transformation. Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was so squeaky clean. He memorized large portions of the scripture. He was able to quote all kinds of things. He really did the church thing well. In fact, he thought his mission was to destroy those Christians. <laughs> and so that's what he did. And he went all around putting Christians in jail, killing Christians. The scriptures tell us that Saul met Jesus on a road. On a road that he was traveling where he wanted to destroy more Christians. And he met Jesus. You know, so amazing about this story is that after he met Jesus, Paul's life changed drastically. It wasn't about religion anymore. It was about the relationship that he had with God. And if you read all the things that it cost Paul to follow Jesus, shipwrecks, scourgings, 
jail. Oh. You know, you had a pretty good life there, Mr. Saul. Why would you want to follow Jesus? Well, when you listen to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, all your priorities change. He begins to change you from the inside out to reflect who Jesus is. So you start thinking differently and you start acting differently and you are more generous, which is amazing. If you read Saul's story or Paul's story, you'll see he has no regrets, none. He counted a privilege because he was able to share the good news of God's transformation to people and people and more people. And lives are being changed and churches were being planted and communities were being reached. Paul had no regrets, none at all. Now if I go back to the wise men, the wise men knew the king had come. They met the king and they worshiped the king. If I'm honest, that's probably what happens in most of our lives. There's so many people, especially right here in the States, that literally know about the king. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard about Christmas. Hasn't made much of a change. But they know about it. And, and if the Magi stopped right there, we wouldn't have the story we have. But there's others who knew about Jesus and listened to Jesus, responded to his offer of grace, of life, that they recognized that well, Jesus wants a relationship with us and that he died on a cross in order to pay our debt and satisfy God's wrath. Those who respond to that, they meet Jesus. The scriptures tell us that their lives are completely different, that they are new creations, and that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. So there's folks that know about Jesus and don't do anything else. There's folks that know about Jesus and respond to Jesus. And then there's folks who, as they spend time with Jesus, begin to worship the King of Kings. Their lives change because they get to serve the Almighty. Their generosity looks different. Everything changes. So as you look at the wise men, the wise men were really wise. They were. They changed their mind. They knew about the king. They met the king. And they listened to the king, even though it would cost them. We don't know anything else about them. But we do know this, is that their lives were completely different. So can you imagine? 
what child is this? What did I just meet? God, this is you, your love being displayed. The humble Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of the wise men. I don't know how much they actually knew, but they knew enough. And they heard your prophecies and your word. And they chose to come and meet the king and bow and worship and supply gifts for a young family to carry them through. God, we love you. We thank you for changing our lives. God, if you would, even now, as each one of us think of where we are in our journey, maybe we just know about you. Father, if that's the case, would you encourage each one that just knows you to take that step of faith that they might start a relationship with you and that you would change them from the inside out. Father, for those who know about you, for those who have met you, would you give us a sense of awe and wonder that we get to worship the King, the Creator, the one who graced us and gave us a great salvation. So not only we have a friend to do life with together now, but we'll spend eternity with you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.